Welcome football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Player 54 Podcast, a show focused solely on the XFL. From a sunny Southwest Florida studio, here's your host, Michael Lathrop. Hello, football fans. This is episode 76, 2023 Divisional Championship Recaps and Award Discussion. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Royal Retros by 503 Sports. Royal Retros are the king of throwbacks. Royal Retros by 503 Sports provides a line of merchandise from legendary defunct leagues such as the XFL 1.0. If you've always wanted to get yourself a quality Las Vegas Outlaws He Hate Me or Los Angeles Extreme Tommy Maddox jersey, perhaps even an OG XFL's team's t-shirt, we have you covered. Simply click on the link provided in the show's description and notes and enter the code Let's Talk XFL at checkout to receive 10% off your purchase. The XFL 2023 matchup is set. My itinerary is locked in for the XFL Championship game at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas on May 13th. Before we can get into any of that, we have several league developments to discuss. In addition, contributor Mark Hallbach returns to review the divisional championship games and share his thoughts on the end-of-season award winners. But first, we have those developments to cover. So, let's get to it. On April 29th, the Houston Roughnecks hosted the Arlington Renegades for the South Division Championship. The Renegades defeated the Roughnecks 26-11. This result secured the Arlington Renegades a spot in the XFL Championship game. Then, on April 30th, the D.C. Defenders hosted the Seattle Sea Dragons for the North Division Championship. The Defenders defeated the Sea Dragons 37-21. This result secured the D.C. Defenders a spot in the XFL Championship game. Then, on May 2nd, the league named D.C. Defenders head coach Reggie Barlow the 2023 XFL Coach of the Year. Then, on May 3rd, the league named St. Louis Battlehawks wide receiver and kick returner Darius Shepard the 2023 XFL Special Teams Player of the Year. Then, on May 4th, the league named Vegas Vipers linebacker Pitta Talmapinu the 2023 XFL Defensive Player of the Year. Then, on May 3rd, the league named D.C. Defenders quarterback Jordan Ta'amu the 2023 XFL Offensive Player of the Year. As I have previously mentioned, I will now be joined by Mark Hallbach to review the Divisional Championship games and get his thoughts on the end-of-season award winners. Welcome back, Mark. The Divisional Championship games have been played and the XFL Championship match is set. Before we get to the main event, we have those Divisional championships to review so welcome back it's been a crazy week we won't get into it folks but this we're just blessed to be able to sit down together and make this happen not everything goes as planned does it mark it definitely doesn't especially with um, you know my predictions from last week which we'll get into here but it's always a pleasure to be here and talk uh you know football and xfl football and uh you know we made it we're here uh, we're going to have a championship game, first one since 2001, right? And so, I mean, great to see. And, uh, you know, football is alive and well in, in the United States, for sure. We'll start things off with the South Division Championship. Arlington Renegades at the Houston Roughnecks with the Renegades winning 26-11. to 11. I must apologize, and I know I sent you a text over the weekend, but I must apologize over the air for wishing this into existence, okay? You will now be forced to watch another week of the Renegades offense. To be fair, though, Luis Perez had a solid game going 19-27, 289 passing yards, three touchdowns, and even 13 rushing yards. Now, on a serious note, we'll dive a little bit further in here. I believe it is safe to say this is not the outcome that most anticipated. The Roughnecks did not look like themselves. And even Wade Phillips stated during the post-game interview that Brandon Silvers was not injured and he elected to go with the hot hand. I'm not certain how Cole McDonald completing less than 37% of his passes made him the hot hand when Silvers completed 50% of his throws. 
The logic didn't add up then. It still does not add up now. What are your thoughts on the South Divisional Championship game? Well, I got a lot of thoughts on this. And and the first thing that comes to mind, though, is, is this weekend really highlighted some coaching and some decision making. And we'll talk about that, uh, too. Second thing is that the Renegades must have listened to me and posted everything I said about them last week on a bulletin board because they did exactly the opposite of that. You know, I may have to sit through another week of them. You know what? If they if they play half as good as they did this week, they'll at least score some points and, and it won't look so terrible. They won't be so terrible. So the Renegades have just been in. We'll start with them. Okay, they've been an interesting team. They've always had the defense to rely on. We know they have a great defense, and Donald Payne coming back was a big addition to you know their defensive success this week. He is a difference maker on that side of the ball, and you can tell. But that whole defense has played well all year, and their offense just never got anything going. They never got anything going with Drew Plitt. They never got anything going with Kyle Sloter. And that's one of the things that I enjoyed about this league was all the teams never gave up. They always tried to make sure they were getting better, trying to make sure that, you know, whatever they were doing, they wanted to win the next week, no matter what their record was. And you got to give Arlington credit for going out and making that trade and seeing that they could get a guy that they can communicate with who has been plugged into situations very quickly a lot of times and can win a football game. And Luis Perez, giving him credit here, he he was, I think I tweeted out, he was unconscious. Like, he, he was on fire. He played a, almost the perfect game that he needed to. The Renegades were able to also get some explosive plays that they did not have during the regular season at all. And they had balance. I think some of that's being missed a little bit because it wasn't huge plays in the running game, but they had balance. And we're going to talk, the two teams that won this week were balanced. And it says a lot because you can attack defenses different ways and scores different ways when you're balanced. And they were. So I got to give them credit. They they came to play. Bob Stutes had them ready. And they executed, they went out and executed their offense finally for the first time with a quarterback that really, really took command of what was going on. He was, you know, and they didn't care what their record was. And and that's what you got to do when you go into that. So Arlington being in the championship game with a four and you know, six regular season record doesn't look that great. But you know what? I think they're a little bit better than that if they maybe had figured out the quarterback a little bit earlier. And also you know, some of the, you know, balance within the offense. So that was great. Now, when it comes to Houston, <laughs> classic Wade Phillips. <laughs> I mean, this is a classic. As an NFL head coach, he was one in five in postseason games. I just looked up the um, 2000 when he was the head coach of the Buffalo Bills, the Music City Miracle. He opted to go with a Rob Johnson who was, one and three throughout the season and got hurt over Doug Flutie, who won him 10 games during the regular season. Now they should have won that game down the stretch there. They don't call it a miracle for nothing because that was just amazing what happened. This isn't, doesn't quite equal to this, but this goes back to the whole, you know, early in the season when I said, when you have two quarterbacks, you have zero quarterbacks and your offense will sputter. And we're going to talk about how DC is different with their two quarterbacks compared to how this is set up. Brandon Silver's 2020 vision, obviously, hindsight's all 2020, right? He's the guy that can get you downfield. Now, Cole McDonald played a couple good games coming into here, and I think that's what he meant by the hot hand there a little bit. But I think when the game is on the line and you're playing a defense like this, you kind of need somebody that's taking some, you know, you're almost putting a rookie quarterback in there versus Brandon Silvers has been around a little bit, at least, you know? So when this offense was firing on all cylinders, it was Brandon Silvers, right? Like early on in the season, it was him who was firing around because he's got the air raid background, you know, that they liked. 
his style is completely different than Cole McDonald. You know, Cole McDonald is a, in, in my opinion, would be very good in the DC offense as an RPO. If I have Cole McDonald and he's my starting quarterback, I'm watching everything Fred Case is doing, you know, with DC and I'm learning about all those RPOs and I'm doing this stuff with him. And then I'm going to get a backup that is similar to that. Like DC has, whereas this team was set up a little differently. You got two different styles kind of going on and you played a very good defense. I mean, 11 points is pretty much the average. I think of what Arlington was giving up all year. So I feel like there was a little bit of a blunder there just because I felt like you saw Cole McDonald was struggling and you knew that he just couldn't go back to Brandon Silvers because he made the decision. So I, I, I just, I feel like it's just a, it's typical Wade Phillips in the playoffs. Like he just, for some reason has some tug of war between what quarterback to play. And there are two different. So if you were preparing with Brandon all all week, and then all of a sudden you're going to decide to go with Cole, you can't run the same offense. You got to run different offenses for them. And they just weren't prepared for that. And they sputtered and you just kind of waited and waited for them to make play, you know, to put plays together and they just couldn't do it. Um, and you got to give the Renegades defense that that credit as well. So, and then, you know, I kind of feel like they were balanced. They probably could have run the ball a little bit more having Cole in there and being a little bit more patient, but they got down two scores early and now you got to throw the ball. Well, Brandon Silver is going to be better than, better than Cole McDonald down the run, if you ask me. You Thank know, you for saying that because that's, that's what I know I'm cutting in here. I'm so sorry. Oh, go ahead. For saying that, because it's exactly what I was thinking the whole time. How many times have we talked about when you start falling behind, you kind of you let go of the run game. You focus on passing the ball to get caught back up, right? Your clock's running out. You got to start scoring some points. The quickest way to do that is to throw the ball. Well, Brandon Silvers, you know, going back to his statistics really quick, I talked about 50%, but he was three of six, so 22 yards. All right, not, not great, but he did also have the one rush for six yards. Very minimal action, really, if you really think about it. It's not like, okay, he got the first half. We weren't doing so great. We're going to go to the hot hand. No, it's like very minimal action. So it's like, again, what worked so so much early on and who we thought was going to be potentially a contender for MVP? You have a contender for MVP at one point in the season, and then you just don't use him? When you're behind late in the game and you're still in there with Colt, like, I was lost. So thank you for saying that. It just did not. It didn't add up then. It's still not adding up now, talking about it. And I'm not trying to be rude. To, I have my talking point. I get it, and I'm throwing it back in there. But I just thank you for saying that because it, it just doesn't add up, and it still doesn't add up. It's very perplexing to think about what the conversations were and who was going to play and how much they were going to play because I didn't feel like Brandon Silvers did anything to get pulled. He didn't throw two picks or throw, you know, really bad balls or anything. He's 50%. It was the beginning of the game. No so, turnovers. Not even right. like two picks, let alone 91. No turnovers. Not a fumble I mean, anything. He was barely in there enough to get warmed up, you know? Right. So it is just, I mean, it's just weird personnel management and, He's kind of been known for that in the past. Uh, when I say he, you know, Coach Phillips, you know, I know he's had a great run as a as a head coach and a defense coordinator and a great NFL career, and that's great. But when it comes to postseason, for some reason, the team always performs differently at the be- beginning of the season than they do later on. And that carried on over to the XFL. I, I was surprised nobody brought that up on the broadcast. I, I don't think anybody wanted to really bring up, you know, hey, you know, this was his NFL. And they don't want to be negative. Um, I get it. But, you know, I almost threw it out there on Twitter. Like, this is just typical postseason Wade Phillips. You know, his team's just not ready. And he's making personnel decisions that, you know, you scratch your head about sometimes. So, very, very weird um, situation there. So, would the result have been different? I don't know. Because Arlington put it all together. You know, they played the game that they had to play in order to beat them, and they did it. And I know I was really rough on them last week, and, and you know, so, and I thought we were going to see a terrible, you know, offense sputter out there again, and 
And Luis Perez said, uh, you know, that's not going to happen. And and they made some great play calls and, and got some big plays and explosive plays early. So they were saving a lot for this and, and they executed very well. And frankly, they deserve to be in the championship game because they will compete with DC in this game. This will be a competitive game yet. This isn't going to be, again, we'll get into the preview later, but you know, right now I feel like it will be a still a very competitive game. So congratulations to, you know, Bob Stoops, his staff and, and Arlington and being in that XFL championship game and getting a ticket to San Antonio. Just, it's very interesting. And I mean, it's not that, you know, you wish something in existence. I mean, it's just very interesting how it played out too. It just, I mean, I'm still baffled by it. So we'll move on in the North division championship. Seattle Sea Dragons at the DC Defenders with the Defenders winning 37 to 21. I also find this game very interesting. Looking at the statistics, Danucci essentially had a flawless game going 31 of 48, 295 yards, three touchdowns, 16 yards rushing, no turnovers, right? That's been the big knock against Danucci all year. So for me, the surprising issue was that June Jones only rushed twice throughout the game with each time being Philip Lindsay, who had a negative three yards rushing. I mean, like your quarterback has put it together, right? He's not turning over the ball. He's not making any bonehead throws, blah, 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 right? Okay. This is not the Dunich issue. We're talking about how Lindsay could have been the guy to come in here and really make this interesting because they have that dual threat. Well, heck, you didn't even attempt it. I mean, even on two rushes with three negative yards, okay, somebody can eventually get you know back into the rhythm. What? I mean, what? So interesting. I'm also baffled by some veteran. What is it? I know Hazlitt is a defensive guy. I get it. But he's still a veteran coach. He has a veteran OC in June Jones who has essentially just had his way with alternative football. But we got this. I mean, numbers-wise, Danucci did well. He did. But we got this, which just didn't make sense because they knew it was coming just enough to control. Now, we can get into the D.C. defenders, but I'm just going to – I'll leave some talking points to yourself, right? I don't want to take them all for myself and be selfish. So – what are your thoughts on the North Division Championship game? Well, like I mentioned, you know, starting this, this is it was about coaching this week, and it was about balance. And the teams that had balance won. And you have to have balance in a professional football league. And you especially have to have balance, I feel, in postseason because you're playing teams that are good. You can get away with being one-sided, playing teams that may not be as good or during the regular season when it's not on the line and the intensity is not as cranked up. It was unbelievable. Two rushes. Like I think I would call run plays by accident as an offensive coordinator more than twice, you know, and you have a former NFL back back there that has fresh legs. To me, it was just, you know, even trying to maybe throw him a screen to Versus the cover zero pressure that Greg Williams was bringing. So, yeah, I mean, very, very frustrating because you knew Seattle had a little bit more in them and they were just not balanced. So, I mean, it's easy to call defense. All you got to do is, you know, when the the other team is one dimensional and people will tell you that. And Zanucci did everything he could. You know, he definitely did everything he could. He didn't turn the ball over. The whole the team didn't even have a turnover. It was DC's defense that was very opportunistic. And I'm not saying by, you know, turnover-wise. I'm saying just by getting three and outs. And Greg Williams' defense will get to you. Like, they will frustrate. This team frustrates people. The, de- the defenders frustrate their opponents because they're, they seem one step ahead. When you're one-dimensional and it's third and ten, well, now you he's just pinning his ears back and everybody's drooling and and they're coming after him. And Danucci, you know, you know, took a couple sacks and that kind of got to him. And then they start getting some penalties called on him because they're pushing and shit, you know, because this team frustrates you, right? It, it frustrates you. They get in your head and they take away what you do so well. And they're so they're balanced both offense and team wise, right? Like at the 
DC's won every single different way this year. You know, their defense has, you know, played really well and they've run the ball and steamrolled people. And then they've been able to throw the ball, you know, which they did this week because they're balanced. You had to play the run. They're playing, you know, they're playing all those RPOs and, and Jordan Tayamu made them pay. And even Derek King came in and made them pay. So very, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, that he would only call two running plays during the whole game. And like I said, the, the defenders, they had a couple turnovers, but those turnovers were three and outs after that. So they didn't really give up anything and they didn't even really give up time, you know, when it came to that. So the defenders are, are one step ahead of everybody right now. And it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, Jordan played a great game. I hope he's going to be healthy for the game, you know, with the finger injury. Those can linger a little bit, but even, you know, Derek King comes in, he's doing fine. You know, he, you know, drove him down and scored too, you know? So you got to give DC a lot of credit too, because they're just, they're balanced. You know, if the, if, it, if the run's working, they're going to stick with the run. If the passing game's working, they're going to, whatever you're giving them, they're taking. And the same thing with the defense and they frustrate you because they are good. And they, they play aggressive and, you know, you're, they're playing at home and the fans are rowdy and the lemons are coming out and, you know, you're kind of dealing with a little bit of that too. So, like I said, very interesting. I think there's also kind of an interesting dynamic between June Jones and Ben DiNucci. I, I, I've never seen June Jones walk over to him. We never see a picture of those two next to each other. <laughs> right. And true. when Jim I mean, Hazlitt tries to tell him something, Danucci's always got an answer for it. And I worked with a head coach that was, you know, and he coached for, you know, I think he's probably on his 35th year as a head coach now. When I was with him, it was about 25 years and it was his world. If he was going to go talk to you, he was going to go talk to you and you, you, you better know how to handle talking to him. And Jim Hazlitt reminds me a lot of him because he don't care. He doesn't care if you're flustered. He doesn't care if you made two great throws or what. He wants to know what he needs to know. And Ben kind of takes offense to that. And it's hard to communicate with a quarterback like that. So just me outside looking in again, there could be a great relationship between them. I don't know. But I think Ben played well enough for Seattle to win. However, they they pretty much, you know, they didn't score until the fourth quarter when DC was kind of up and we thought the game was probably kind of out of, out of reach, but it's never out of reach in this league. Okay. With the fourth and 15 and uh, being able to score pretty quickly and with the conversions, but DC is just so efficient too, with their conversions and you know, they're going for two, they're going for one, they're scoring every time they get a conversion, they score and they have put a football team together there's a reason why, you know, Von Hutchins and Reggie Barlow, and, you know, there's a reason they're winning all these awards, right? You know, you got to give Von Hutchins a lot of credit for communicating probably prior to putting a team together on, on what they wanted to do and then putting that team together and really taking skill sets and putting them together. And we, we thought we were going to see that. Um, we knew we were going to see that. We all called it, right? preseason with Jordan when, when he was, um, you know, signed by the defenders and uh, assigned there. We knew that that was going to be a really good match with what they wanted to do offensively. And it has been. So I criticized the two quarterback system and some people are going to say, well, DC runs that. Well, it's basically the same guy coming in. He's just a little shorter. <laughs> I mean, right. I mean, Derek King can do everything Tyamon can do. And he just needs some more snaps. I mean, Jordan's seen a little bit more than he has. And Derek's getting those. And if Jordan decides, you know, winds up, you know, in a different league or something, you know, next year, you know, they may have their guy already. And that's good to have. And that's going to keep consistency as it goes. So congratulations again to to Reggie Bar. I mean, he's done a, a fabulous job. That guy's won everywhere he's gone. As a player, as a coach as a head coach. And I'm going to say this, I know it's just one year, but if he puts two or three years like this together and some major college or an NFL team doesn't come calling, that's just a shame. 
because I would be fine. I'd be talking to it. If I was an NFL executive, I would be talking to this guy's agent being like, we don't know if he's quite ready, but we're going to keep our eye on him, and we'd like to keep him close. You know what I mean? And I, I really think he is just what sets red coach Barlow apart. You know, again, outside looking in, it seems like is he doesn't care who gets the credit. He hires good people around him. He knows he's only as good as the people around him. He is a leader of men, and that's hard to be sometimes. He knows when to address it. He knows when to back off. He has got a skill set that a lot of teams and a lot of these billion-dollar organizations now are always looking for, and I, I hope he gets an opportunity for that. But I hope he gets to stay too a little bit because he's a good coach and, um, you know, we want him in, in the XFL, but the XFL did a great job bringing him in. And he is, like I said, anywhere he's gone, he's won. And when you've gone to, you know, three, four places and every time you go somewhere, you win, you know, you got a good coach and, and you, and you can see that in the, um, you know, major colleges sometimes when they hire people, you hire the hot, offensive coordinator and he doesn't quite work out well it's because he just he's not quite ready um, but congratulations to dc those fans are phenomenal i love watching a game that is in dc i would love the game that's in dc so it'd be great to see they punch their ticket and uh, it's going to be great to watch them in in this championship game there is one thing i would like to you know kind of just discuss here for a moment with dc so I was a little intrigued watching Abram Smith a little bit. I know he had 48 yards, and we've just uh, we have discussed time and time again. You don't need to have 100 yards in this league. This league's not really set up for that with the, you know the quick play and whatnot. That 40 anywhere from 40 to 60 would be actually deemed pretty successful. And he had 48, so like that's he's not not either. But he seemed frustrated. Saw it on the sidelines. We got to see it at halftime where he even was interviewed and he shared how he essentially wanted the ball more. He wanted to run. Now I know that any player wants to be part of the game plan and probably more so in some cases than others, but we haven't really seen that before. So I'm not trying to say there's trouble in paradise. I'm not trying to say that, but it just makes us wonder what is there a little bit more behind the curtains? That's all I'm trying to say. Like it, it seems like at this time you'd be as well oiled, Everyone would be as understanding as possible. You wouldn't see this this late in the season, right? You're in this game. You have a good chance to go to the championship. But this is when the frustration starts to come from the star running back. You know, a little bit. Surface. Not only like you just see it visibly on the sideline, you get to hear it a little bit in the interview at, at halftime in the locker room. So I just, any thoughts on that? Because, I mean, I know you've had to deal with some players probably some point, and maybe things are, might seem one way they're not quite that so i'm not trying to say there's trouble in paradise but it just seems like an odd time of the year for me to start seeing this kind of surface well i don't know where where he was at halftime but but he had 25 touches he had 23 carries he had two receptions you know he he had the ball enough what he what he's probably frustrated about is, is let's let's put ourselves in abram smith's shoes here for a minute if I'm a player that got changed positions in college, right? He went from linebacker to running back, did really well, but yet didn't get that NFL opportunity. You're playing on ESPN on a Sunday in the playoffs. You've had, you've strung some good games together and you're trying, you want to make sure that this is a good game for you because it's a playoff game because it's against high competition, right? It's against Seattle's defense, which I've praised that defense. You know, I still do. I think they they played phenomenal. You know, they didn't give up a lot of, you know, run. But like I said, D.C. so balanced, they, they can beat you either way. And they were able to get a lot of explosive plays out of the passing game because Seattle was geared onto the run. So I could see that a little bit, you know, of, hey, I need to touch the ball so many times because I need to keep my numbers up or I need to do that because I'm looking at getting to the next level, you know, and I am sure that if there was an issue that it has been addressed, I'm sure, you know, coach Barlow is not the type of person that's going to let things 
go and fester, right? You know, so he, he may seem a little bit of frustration, but it was nine to nine at that point in time. That offense really didn't take off until the second half. And Seattle was playing the run. And once they realized that, they did that. But he still had 25 touches. So, you know, you sit down with the player at that point in time and be like, okay, for what's going on? Tell me what's going on. A lot of times they're apologetic. They're like, I, yeah, I was just in the heat of the moment. And he's in a competitive fired mode, right? He wants the ball. He wants, it's nine to nine. He wants to go to the championship and he feels like he can make a bigger impact. Sometimes you like that, right? Like you want those guys to want the ball and, and to want to play. And that's why I've always, you know, I've coached receivers, <laughs> you know, and they always, you know, I'm not getting the ball enough. Well, you know, okay, let's, let's talk about what you need to do to get it then. And where we can put you in those positions to get it. And if you do those things, then you'll get the ball a little bit. And so he was a little frustrated. And, you know, it wasn't like things were popping for him either. He he averaged two yards a carry. So, I mean, you're a little frustrated because you're not averaging that four or five yards. So you want the ball more so that you can kind of, you know, beef up some numbers a little bit. So I get it, but I, I don't think it's anything to worry about just because of the fact that he hasn't done it before. Yeah. And I'm sure I feel like there's a, there's a coach there that would listen to him. And then he, the coach would put his perspective down and say, Hey, like, you know, I understand that. And I want to get you the ball, but you touched it 25 times. You touched it more than anybody else other than the quarterback. You know what I mean? Like, what do you, what do you want there? So uh, I don't know where he was at halftime if he, you know, only had a few touches. So maybe he was frustrated at that, but I don't mind it. I think players being fired up as long as they're not going in, throwing things around in the locker room going, I need the ball more. I want the ball more, blah, blah, blah. I should be getting the ball more. You know, if he just said it to a reporter, oh, well, <laughs> we say things all the time. I say things on this podcast. I get beat up, you know, <laughs> all the time that are not, you know, right. Or, you know, that, you know, a little emotional. So I, I don't know. I wouldn't play much into it. I mean, there's, you know, he's going to play well in the championship game. He's going to want to, again, it's going to be on ABC. He's going to want the ball. He's going to get his touches. He doesn't have to worry about that. I, I don't think I'd be too concerned about it. I mean, I would address it if I was, I was Reggie, whether it's addressing it casually or formally, you know, there's a couple ways to address things. You know, I think he can, address that a little casual and Abram Smith would be like, Oh yeah. You know, I just fired up man. I want the ball. I want to help the team. I want, I want to score. I want to do that. You know, and as a coach and be like, I can appreciate that. And you're going to get your touches. Don't worry. You know? <laughs> so there was an issue. They got two weeks to iron it out. So I'm not saying that there is right. I mean, they got plenty of time. You know, the game's not this weekend. It's you know, another whole week out. So there's plenty of time to figure out what it is. I just thought it was an interesting time to see frustration surface, you know, in my opinion. But I, there, before we also roll on here, I think there's one other player in this game that I'd like to kind of talk about their their production a little bit. So it's back on the other side of the ball with Josh Gordon. He was targeted 11 times, only had four receptions for 23 yards, no touchdowns. I mean, from a star receiver, you know, somebody that's obviously big name, had some impact in the National Football League for whatever reason, you know, he's had, his uh, issues and turned into a little bit of a journeyman and look for opportunity. But for a guy that we thought that they had all these guys, and when it came down to it, he'll still be there. 11 targets and only four receptions. I mean, is that, I mean, we know Danucci had a day. He really did. I mean, like I said, it was essentially flawless. So looking at Gordon, I mean, are you a little shocked with this? Is it just kind of be like, okay, maybe this is part of that layer of what is holding him up in his life? Talented, no doubt. We've seen it time and time again. But for whatever reason, here it is, the big stage on a lower level league. And not, you know, the XFL is what the XFL is, folks. It's not a shot at the league. This is not the National Football League. So when you kind of look at this, and I know you're not a National Football League guy yourself, but I mean, like, you're a coach and you've dealt with plenty of players and, what are you seeing with Josh Gordon? I mean, in this performance and what it may or may not mean for him moving forward. Well, you know, we thought he'd come in and and he has done some things that have been tremendous in this league. He has shown why NFL teams will still sign him. But 
he has also shown why NFL teams are reserved at signing him. He is so talented. It's come so easy to him that sometimes you lose a little bit of it. When it comes so easy to you, you, you don't appreciate the process of getting even better or domination, right? He could dominate this league if he was the guy who said, Hey, I'm just going to dominate. The, the, the dude is huge. Like, and he's got such body control in this. We call it a catch radius is just out of this world, right? Like you could throw it anywhere near him and he should be catching it. So I think Seattle went into the game going, Hey, we need to get Josh going. And they try and throw him a lot of screen passes sometimes to get him going. And I don't think he's quite that player. I feel like he's more of a down the field player one-on-one in the, if I'm decent, what, who am I taking out first? The, the whole year, who am I taking out of the game first? Seattle. Who do I not want to beat me? Josh Gordon. So we're going to roll coverages. We're going to we're going to bracket them. We're going to do different things. And and you can see that by you know Jawan Green in a game, you know uh, a great game, and, and Beasley, and and even Pearson got his own, and even you know they spread the ball around really well. But if if the coverage is rolling there, you, you gotta you're gonna be taking you're gonna be targeting somebody else. Having eleven targets and four catches, that's that's tough to take. I mean, it is a little less than fifty percent. But I mean, if you look at Jawan Green, he had eight receptions and sixteen targets. So we don't know where that ball is going. You know, right? right? Like we don't see it and go, oh, that was Danucci. That wasn't really Josh. You know, because we don't see a lot of the downfield stuff on TV before it happens, right? We see the ball as it's going and we see it as it, as it going, but receivers, what they do, you know, when they're off the screen or is the most important thing, you know, before they get on the screen. So I don't think it's something that um, really was concerning to me. I wasn't like, I, I thought they were like, we're going to take Josh Gordon out of this game, beat us with somebody else. And that's what they did. But he's, he's so talented. <laughs> like, and and you and as a person that like doesn't you know have that athletic talent, I appreciate it. But then when they don't have the work ethic, maybe or the second gear or that third gear that some people have to make them unbelievable and put them out of this world, kind of you know, we get frustrated as kind of put it civilians who don't have that talent. So we're a little harder on him, right? <laughs> than we really need to be, but I thought, you know, he had a couple of games where he showed like, okay, yeah, there's Josh Gordon. Well, yeah, <laughs> um, he's, he's tearing it up, you know? And then he had a couple of games where it's like, mm, where's Josh Gordon. But again, defenses, what are you, what's the first thing you're going to do? Take him out. They didn't have to worry about him, you know? So like they're not running the ball. So they just bracketing everybody backing up, playing man to man, blitzing zero pressure, you know? And, yeah, I don't. It's tough to to kind of see that, and you wanted like, I think we really wanted, and and he had a good season. I mean, this isn't something like his. The expectations were so high that we think it was an average season for him. You know, I mean, he still had you know thirty eight catches, a lot of big plays. I mean, he had eight catches over uh, twenty yards. That was probably. Looks like tied for second in the league, and there were two other people above him. So he still had that big playability, but I think we feel like he is superhuman. He played at the NFL at a high level that he should be just burning it up here and should be, a, you know, blowing those stats up that when they're just not to our expectations, we think it's a bad year or a bad game. And you're going to have, I don't care who you are, you're going to have a bad game in 10 games. Okay. Every player does every over a course of that many or 11 games that they played. You're going to have a game maybe that you just don't play well. And Seattle had a case of the drops early on. Right. You know, and they, they got that fixed. So they, um, I don't know if the weather was kind of, you know, making the ball a little slick and things like that, but they had a case of the drops that kind of sputtered their offense early on that maybe, you know, they got a couple catches. They get a few more first downs. They score a few more points in the first half and they're feeling good about themselves a little bit more, but I still think he, he still had a great, a solid season. So let's, let's not beat him up too much, you know? And if I was an NFL team that needed a guy in a pinch, right. Or my, my receiving core just 
again, I'm a Packer fan. So in 1996, you know, we signed Andre Risen and he wound up scoring, a, you know, like for three games at the end of the year. And then he winds up being great in the playoffs, scores a touchdown in the playoffs. That's the type of guy that I feel like Josh Gordon is now for the NFL and he'll see a team sometime during the season. But it was good to see him out there. And, and, um, I'm sure Ben DiNucci is glad he was on the team because there were some throws there, right? And, he, I mean, he basically won the Vipers game by himself with that play. I mean, so, you know, there aren't many guys that can make that play. And we'll see what's in store for his future, you know, and uh, we hope that gets a, you know, a call up. And I hope he's back. You know, I want him to play some football in the XFL again. I mean, uh, I don't want every good player to go to the NFL and stay there. You know, like, I want I want good players in this league. so. Me too. Well, folks, we had previously discussed that we are going to dangle the carrot of the preview on the championship. We're going to put it out another week. We're going to dangle it a little bit, right? We're not going to give you our preview because it is two weeks before the championship. So we figure we'll put it in the next episode. So you want to hear our preview. You're going to have to tune in to the next episode. But what we will get into while we have Mark here, because he is graciously agreed to discuss these awards that the XFL have been announcing here as of late. So on May 2nd, DC Defenders head coach Reggie Barlow was named the 2023 XFL coach of the year. I'm not going to get into a whole lot. We know they're the best team. Statistically, they're in the championship. In your opinion, Mark, did the league award this honor to the right person? 100%. Who else are you making a case for right now? You know what I mean? I think this this could have almost been a a unanimous decision. I just brought it up. Okay, I'll clarify here. For for the coach of the year, they were voted on by the um, team's respective head coaches and uh, directors of player personnel. So you had your director of player personnel and other head coaches, your peers, vote you this. And like I said, who else? This is by far one of the, you know, Jim Haslett did a nice job, I think, you know, getting his team back, right, and going on that winning streak. But when you talk about a complete season and winning football games, close games, winning blow, you know, getting games with a runaway, he, he his team did it all. And we all know that they're going to be a reckoned force if he continues to be the head coach there. They, like I said if, before, if he's won everywhere he's gone and, and he's going to continue to do that. He's got it. He's got it down. And, um, you know, I hope he, I hope he's back and I hope he embraces this. And, but yeah, this is well, well deserved by him. And I, yeah, I just don't see anybody else really that was close. I mean, Anthony, I would think Anthony Beck might've been a close second or a second, not, not close, but, I think he may have gotten a vote or two because he did a great job as well. But when it's the whole regular season and you go nine and one, you know, that is uh that you've done a great job coaching the team, managing the team, managing their legs, managing their energy, managing their attitudes. Right. So uh well deserved by him. And like I said, he he is I'm I'm worried that he's gonna be on to bigger and better things very, very soon because he is a good football coach and he's a good head football coach and he may get lured away, you know, at some point in time. I agree that this is the no brainer pick. And I also agree that probably the only other person that got a vote would be Anthony Beck, not because they made the postseason because they clearly did not, but he's a rookie head coach had a rookie OC. You know, when I say rookies, they had no collegiate, OC or head coaching experience. They had experiences tied to high school. Uh, yeah, Anthony Beck was a tight end coach in the AAF. So to see how far he came and how solid of a team and just the way that that whole organization was operating, it might have just been a little bit of an injury with McCarron that might have just kept them out. And I'm not saying 100%, but it might have been that possibility. We set out one game, came back, Maybe he needed another game, but with a backup being injured at that point, you know, for whatever reason, he ended up missing the rest of the season. They're kind of, they didn't have a choice. The season was on the line. They had to roll with it. I get it. You had to win games no matter what. You had to find ways to win games, but they did. They won 
seven games. And in this league, that's pretty amazing. So he may have been the only other guy to get a vote. I would agree with that. I don't think Hazlitt would have gotten it. I just think, you know, when you look at it, yeah, they had a little bit of a run. But I, I think Anthony Beck did a heck of a job looking at, you know, the personnel early in the year. And I know some people pick them. They actually have a chance in the championship. And I was not one of them. So, you know, give some kudos to Anthony Beck. But a lot of other people were picking D.C. and I didn't pick them either. So a lot of kudos to Coach Barlow and company. So well-deserved on on that front. So 100% I'm with you. So, you know, I can't say enough that they I believe they got this right. So we'll move on. To May 3rd, St. Louis Battlehawks, Darius Shepard was named the 2023 XFL Special Teams Player of the Year. I won't get into this so much. I just want to get your thoughts on Shepard winning this award. So I like this. I, I think this is this is well-deserved. And I think who who's going to be second in this, right? Uh, Romo, you know, and if Romo is... Didn't miss two kicks. Romo went in the special teams, you know, and, and that stinks for Romo, for him. I mean, but Darius Shepard was a difference maker here. He was a field position difference maker and both, especially in kick returns. He changed the game of who you put back there and you started seeing these returns start to come to, to you know, at first the couple couple weeks people are trying to figure it out right and then you know the new type of rules and stuff and then all of a sudden a returner kind of figures out where people are going to be and how people are going to attack it and where to go and and he put together a great year as a kick returner and it's a difference maker and it reminds me of having that guy right i mean having a devin hester having a desmond howard you know back in the day i know i'm putting my age out there my packers stuff back there but you're getting field position. These are, it's what's called hidden yardage, right? And he's putting his team in a better field position. And when you do that off of a kickoff, as you move down the field and start drives, the percentage of score, chances of scoring goes up, right? So when you start at the 20 yard line, it's, you know, a certain percentage. But once you start going to the, you start your drive at the opponent's 30, it goes up a little bit. And the 40, it goes up a little bit more. And 50, it goes up, you know. So having that person to do that can put points on the board without even knowing you put points on the board. You know, the hidden yardage that he had, and he did a great job. And and I think he, he well-deserved too, because he, he had a good year as a receiver too. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, He's going to probably see an NFL camp, right? I mean, he was in them before and he's going to be, he's probably going to be in a camp at least now. And, but I think this is well-deserved. I think the only, you know, other person that was behind it was, was Romo who kept San Antonio in the playoff hunt, you know, with, with a lot of kicks and we'll see, you know, I believe he's going to see an NFL camp here shortly too, as well. So Darius did a great job and, and well-deserved and I'm, I'm kind of, I know special teams, we think of kickers and punters and things like that, but I was kind of glad to see it go to a returner. I think when you have one that's a difference maker that helps your your team win games and, and score points, again, that's not returning kicks for touchdowns. That's putting your team in a better position to start drives to, you know, with a better chance of, of scoring. He did that. And so, I mean, this is, this is a good pick and I, I'm, I'm very happy that he was able to win something like this. This is great. I'm not upset with a pick. I'm not saying they got it wrong. I just think there's another player that should have been in consideration and probably may have been. And I'm not saying Parker Romo because I don't think the league respects kickers enough because heck, they won't even let them kick extra points. Okay. I know it's a little funny I'm making here and I'm not trying to be super funny about it, but I don't think they respect the kicker enough to really put him in consideration. I think the other player that deserved some consideration here is Calvin McKnight, the Seattle Sea Dragons wide receiver. And I know if you look at just kick returns, he had 748 yards. He averaged 21.4, but I'm looking at all the special teams because he also had 30 returns in the punt game. And that was another 235 yards. So if I'm looking at, yes, it's more total returns, but he did contribute 983 yards in returns between kicks and and punts. I'm just thinking that's a lot of commitment on the special, 
you know, special teams end of the side of the ball, the third phase of the game. That's not as, you know, glamorous as these other ends. We keep talking about, you know, there's three phases of the game and the third phase, everyone's ah, special teams, who cares? He was a big part of that playing both ends. So I, I just think it's a guy that should be in consideration. I'm not saying that the XFL got it wrong. I'm just thinking, you know, McKnight wouldn't have been, a, in my mind, would also been a deserving player if it would have gone that way. Yeah, I think he, he's put the numbers together to be able to do it. I just, you could kind of see Darius have more of a impact a little bit and feel that a little bit more uh, where, you know, McKnight, you know, did a very good job, but maybe he just didn't feel like, hey, okay, McKnight's back there. Like we knew Darius Shepard was getting the ball on the kickoff. So people knew that, right? And coaches, when that happens, are going to, and this again was voted on by coaches and player personnel, directors of player personnel. So they game plan for them. And that's typically the people that win awards are the ones that you bring up in meetings, right? And not saying that, you know, McKnight, you're right, could have been a close second there with returns. And if he would have won it, I don't think I'd be sitting here screaming that Derry Shepard needed to win this, you know? Yeah, I think, I think they got it right. I think. Like you said, the the kickers, if Romo has a perfect season, I, I, I think he gets it. Like, I mean, how can you not if you go 19 for 19, right? Um, I think he was 17 for 19 and, and have a 57 as a long and, and you kept your game, you know what I mean? So, but, you know, that's kind of the way it goes right now. But uh, I think they got it right. And I like Darius. I, you know, I think he, you know, he, he wore the, the, the green and gold for a little bit. so. I might be a little biased then. I'm bringing a up a bit. lot of Packer stuff this week. I don't know. I must be, must be the Aaron Rodgers trade or something that happened. I don't know. So. Which is the sting. You're trying to, you know, make yourself feel good somewhere else. Somewhere else. I, I, don't I, don't, I don't think it's a bad thing. So, okay. Well, I'm just saying, I, I'm, I'm just trying to go, trying to roll. We could, we could do a whole nother podcast on that. <laughs> well, I don't know. Would we have enough listeners? Well, maybe there might be just enough people to tune into that. But anyway, we'll get into, the next one on May 4th, Vegas Vipers linebacker Pitta Talmo Penu was named the 2023 XFL Defensive Player of the Year. I'm just going to go over his statistics because I don't know if this would have been my pick, to be honest with you. But I mean, now that I look at his statistics, I'm not upset with it. I'm not. 10 games played, 26 tackles, 21 solo tackles, five of them are assisted, sacks, seven and a half sacks. Eight tackles for a loss, four forced fumbles, and then one fumble recovery, no interceptions. All right. And I, did I get those right? I mean, I don't know if you have those in front of you. Okay. Well, maybe I just rattled off too many. I think you got them right. Okay. Good deal. I'll just make sure I didn't take them out of another category for somebody else. There were multiple players who had stellar seasons, in my opinion, on the defensive end of the ball. I mean, obviously, same on the offensive, but we're going to focus on defensive. In your opinion, did Tao Mo Penu's 2023 performance, was it head and shoulders above that of others? And did he deserve this award? Like you said, I, this is a good pick for this award. I'm not upset about this at all. There were a lot of players that probably got voted for this. And I think when you take the impact okay again this was voted on by head coaches and player personnel so as you're sitting in preparing for the vipers who do i got who do we got to prepare for oh pitta <laughs> pitta's tearing it up so i mean seven and a half sacks i think the league lead was nine, nine so, and I mean, he, so he was he was right there it's the four forced fumbles that's amazing to me huge so, I mean, when you think of it, I, I'd have to go back and I'd have to watch all of them. How many of those were strips of quarterbacks that would have been a sack if he didn't go for the ball? Okay. So maybe he would have been the lead leaguer than in the stat that everybody cares about, which is sacks, which by the way, is very kind of the meaningless stat, but uh, let's not get there. Okay. <laughs> It's about putting pressure on the quarterback in certain spots, not sacking them. But anyways, but people keep track of this, right? We have a record for it and it's been celebrated very, very much. Um, so 
how many of those forced fumbles were a strip of a quarter? I mean, there. I think I, I saw a couple of them at least by him in one game. Like I was just like, this guy's all over the place. Um, so I don't think it's a bad pick. I think there were probably there were probably you know a few guys here that that could have won this right and definitely definitely um i think they looked at all around though like who had it like okay but four four swumbles that's a lot like and and that's important right getting turnovers is important and and it's a stat that is important so i think it's well deserved i think he he did deserve it he earned it could there have been a couple other people that won it yeah i'm i'm sure there are other guys that got votes but when it comes to this, I'm not, I'm not like throwing my arms up saying, Oh man, why did Pitta get it? It should have been. No, I mean, he had, he earned this. I don't think this is something that, uh, you know, we should, you know, get all fired up about. You know, I don't think it's a lot of controversy. Again, 100% agree. And I know a lot of times you and I, for whatever reason, we agree in a lot of areas wholeheartedly. And sometimes we just don't. But in this area, I, I do because watching the season, he would have not have been my, my front runner, you know, as soon as it concluded after week 10. I would have never went with Pitta. I would be like, well, no, what? But looking at these numbers and then starting to put things side by side, I'm not upset with this pick at all. I'm not. So I'm like, okay, probably the right guy got it. But I do want to name a few people that I think should have also been into it. At least these are my honorable mentions or at least guys I would have had in my consideration and, uh, you know, looking at the numbers, Pitta probably I mean, have still gotten it. I'm really being honest. The Roughnecks linebacker, Trent Harris, nine games. Now, availability is a statistic in my mind. So 10 games for Pitta, that's important if you can stay healthy and be available and help your team. So I do, that's, again, an edge there. But 30 tackles, 16 solo, 14 assists. The nine and a half sacks, the glamorous, you know, sack leader. Twelve tackles for a loss, but that's where this ends. Okay, I don't see forced fumbles. I don't see fumble recoveries. I don't see an interception. I don't see a fumble return for a touchdown or anything like that. Okay, people, that's where it ends for him. I'll also take a look at San Antonio Brahma's linebacker, Delonte Scott. Now, eight games, all right? Yeah, that is available. But 36 tackles, 18 solo, 18 assisted, seven and a half sacks, and then 11 tackles for a loss. Two forced fumbles, and that's where his statistics will end. No recoveries, no interceptions. But I'm looking in a eight-game season because he didn't have the extra two games. Those are pretty stellar numbers to me. Like that, to me, that would be somebody that would warrant that if he had another two games. What else could we see here, right? I'm just, let's be fair. Now, I want to take a look at a defensive back. Houston Roughnecks, Gene Harris. 31 tackles, 18 solo, 13 assisted, no sacks. He's a DB, okay. One tackle for a loss, one forced fumble, one fumble recovery, five interceptions, and one fumble return for a touchdown. That is something I think that's pretty interesting. We don't see a lot from the secondary guys considered in defensive you know, player of the year award. So those would be my honorable mentions, the guys I would have put in consideration. I mean, there's, there's another Brahma player and I won't get into it because you know, all the Brahmas weren't that great of a team. So, but I, if I had to shorten it down, that's, that's the list I'd give you. Okay. Well, you know, they're all well deserving of it. And that's very, that's where this is always difficult, right? You've always got about three or four guys that are really well deserving of, of the award. You know, Delonte Scott is somebody that popped off the screen. Piddick pops off the screen a little bit too. When you, when he made a play, right? I think he kind of hid behind all the other Viper issues <laughs> that were going on. Possibly. <laughs> and, and we quite didn't see him sometimes because just on, you know, Woodson arguing with the refs or, um, you know, their quarterback situation or, you know, things like that. So, Congratulations to him, but yeah, the, the other guys are well deserved of it. But at some point in time, you you got to make it. And like you said, the best, you know, what is it? The best abilities, availability, right? And he played ten games, you know. So th there's something to be said about that sometimes. And I know injuries happen, and it's fluke. But 
when you play 10 games, you have a little bit bigger impact on each game. You know, he, he had an impact on two more games than Delonte Scott did, you know, and, and that's just the luck of the draw sometimes when you get hurt. But yeah, the other guys are, you know, if any of them would have, if Scott or, you know, if they Harris would have gotten it, I was expecting Harris to get it. I think, I think a lot of people were, but at the same time, if they would have got it, we would have been fine with that too. Right. Like, we, you know, I'm, I'm just, I don't mean, I know I'm an offensive coach and we talk a lot of offense on this on this podcast and it's because of what I know a little bit. And I know I'll talk a little bit of defense, but we don't talk about as much of it as we probably should, <laughs> but we give credit to the defense, defense coordinators. And, and also we talk about what they're playing, but we don't kind of sometimes give credit and talk about the guys that are making an impact for the games. Right. And He's probably making it. He probably kept them into a couple of games uh, closer and closer. So typically when these things are voted on by, I'm, I'm glad they're voted on by coaches and by, you know, player personnel, typically those, those guys are pretty smart about who they're picking, you know, because they're not going to go with the popular choice. They're going to go about who they talked about in the meeting and who, who stood out to them, you know, when things had to happen. And, and a lot of times these, these, co- a lot of coaches, you know, they'll get these nominations and they'll do their research too. Like right? they're, they're just not going to look at the stats too, right? They're going to watch some, some film and be like, Hey, yeah, this guy's, this guy's good. So congratulations to him. The, the other, you know, candidates for probably, you know, well deserved it too. But, you know, at some point in time, you got to pick a winner and, you know, they went with, with Pitta and, uh, congratulations, uh, like I said, congratulations to him. Well, Mark, we're not doing the preview. So, you know, we talked about some awards. There will be more awards to come, so we'll have to talk about those later on. But, Mark, once again, thank you for working with me to fit this divisional championship game review and sharing your thoughts on the coach of the year, special teams player of the year, defensive player of the year, because, you know, this week has been a tough one. You know, I don't know who may or may not know because I didn't really share too much, but we had a death in the family. So unexpectedly, we had to rearrange our schedule fly back to New York and, uh, you know, take care of, you know, what matters most family, you know, spending time with people. I am very appreciative for you working with me. I know we had some other things trying to coordinate. It didn't always come to fruition. So, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for you and your family, the sac- you know, family sacrificing your time as well for you being able to do this. So again, like I know I praise it a lot and we talk, you know, thank you. Thank you. And, you know, all this stuff, but people, I don't think you understand how, how important Mark has been to the show. And, you know, there's been so much going on this year personally. And, and, you know, I've had my health issues. I've had, you know, my wedding and now obviously a death in the family. And just so much has happened, been crammed into the XFL season that I, I really have to say, I don't think this would have happened this year. You know, I think at some point the plug could have been pulled and I'm not trying to put that on you to make you continue to bend over backwards to make this happen, Mark, but I, I'm, really grateful and i i hope the listeners really appreciate you and your contributions the way that i do because like i said i i'm so grateful that i you know words cannot truly express my gratitude well it's been a lot of fun i mean we i get to you know i get to watch football and talk football and those are two things that you know as a coach you watch a lot of football like you watch a lot of tape so uh those are things that i'm used to and and you discuss a lot of things and um you know, so this is kind of, you know, without coaching, this has kind of filled a, a little bit of a void, so <laughs> which has been good. But uh, I always enjoy this, and you know, we're we're happy that uh, you know uh, you were able to make it back and you know get this recorded, um, and we'll get it up. You know, we'll preview that championship game next week. We just want to make sure that uh, you know no news or injury reports come out before we preview it. So we want to make sure that we have that, but we'll preview that next week. And I'm excited to see the game and I'm going to start planning my, uh, my day for that. So in my night, what we're going to do, it's going to be like, uh, it'll be like Super Bowl Sunday, but it'll be XFL Saturday. So it's going to be a good time. I'm looking forward to us providing two different viewpoints on the XFL championship game. For those that don't know, obviously Mark's going to watch from home with his family and he's going to be able to give you the experience of watching it like a Super Bowl, right? You're going to treat it like it and truly take it in. Does it kind of match it? Where my wife and I will be actually in San Antonio and I'll be taking the game in person. Now, I have tickets 
but I'm starting to get the itch of whether I'm going to apply for the press pass. People, I, I want to be in the seat with my wife, but it might be cool to get her vantage point from the seat and then me take it from the press box, something that I haven't really done this season. So that's to be determined on my end, but we could really get some interesting vantage points here where, you know, it's not like, okay, how many other shows might talk about it from just point, you know, viewpoint A? This is going to be kind of good, and I'm really looking forward to it because you're going to hear things in the broadcast that I will not be privy to. Kind of like how when I've been at the games in Orlando and we had discussed it. So I am really looking forward to what that's going to be. But we have to preview it before we can live it, folks, and then we'll talk about it afterwards. So, Mark, again, thank you. You know, I'm not going to make you put your social media hand out there. We'll, we'll save that for next week. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good, Michael. Have a good week, and uh, we'll see everybody uh, next week. All right. Take care. Unfortunately, the league announced the Offensive Player of the Year award the day following our discussion. Therefore, we were not able to include it in our conversation. Regardless, as always, having Mark's thoughts on the divisional championship games and award winners are welcomed and appreciated. Unfortunately, we do not have any fan line messages this week. If you have an XFL-related comment, question, or hot take and would like it to be heard on the show, reach out to the fan line by calling 863-TALK-XFL or 863-825-5935. Doing so, your message could be included in an upcoming episode. All good things must come to an end. This concludes another episode of Player 54 Podcast. As always, I am interested in receiving your feedback, so do not be a stranger. Reach out to let me know your thoughts, and if you do so, your comments might just make it on the show. But before you go, do not forget to subscribe and rate the show on your platform of choice. One last thing. If you're interested in checking out our friends over at Royal Retros by 503 Sports, do not forget to click on the link in the show's description and notes, as well as that sweet code, Let's Talk XFL or 10% off your purchase. Thank you for tuning in. Till next time, cheers. Thank you for tuning into today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Player 54 Podcast on your platform of choice. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Player 54 Podcast. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to player54podcast at gmail.com.